What up? This is Myron, and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast. The down on the docks on the other side of the tracks. Dive bar style podcast. I've been about the Seattle Mariners that you are listening to on the Odyssey app or hey, wherever else you're getting that podcast action from. As long as you're liking, subscribing, and following. Hey, I'm down with that. Also, if you haven't checked us out on the socials, say hello. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And also, we got a YouTube page. Go on over there. Say hello by, I don't know, subscribing. That's when you know that unplanned content's going to come out. Same for this podcast. We're here after every series. But also, sometimes we drop things in between. How you know? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. As long as you like and subscribe, you'll know. You'll be on the end. And also, maybe you were like, uh, I'm all right with this podcast, but I like the gear that you guys wear, the rye bread and mustard street gear. You know, you want the street cred, you got to rock the rye bread. Just like Christopher Baller out in Aberdeen that picked himself up a couple of the rye bread and mustard shirts from at simply.cora. That's at simply.cora on Instagram or Etsy. Go check her out. All right, that's all the house cleaning we have for this episode. Let's get right into it right after this. All right, we're back, and so are the Mariners. They just had a day off. We're recording this on their day off. They had the day off. We still got to sit here and yap our gums. And by we, I'm talking about Hannah up in Edmonds. What's up, Hannah? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. The Mariners are about to kick off a, a nice little home stand here. We'll get to that at the very end of this episode. We know they're back. We know the schedule is, you know, at least for the next 10 days, it's looking pretty good where they can make up some hay. They're a game out of first place. They're tied for the second wild card. You know, you, you told me that if you told me when they were going to go on this road trip and they come back eight and two and a game out of the American league West, I'd, I would sign off on it. I'd be so happy. But then there's also this part of me that doesn't like the way that the winning streak ended in Chicago. Slept on it a little bit later. Slept on it for a day. I'm feeling pretty good overall. How could you not about the Seattle Mariners and the, and the run and the role that they they are on? You know, since since July, even more so since after the All-Star break, even more after the trading deadline, they just seem to get stronger and stronger. There's still some hiccups. There's still some things that I'm concerned about. Maybe, uh, you know, how we finish the game off in the bullpen. Still feel like there's some questions there since the Seawald trade, even though Canzone and Rojas seem to be emerging as, you know, great pieces to this team and making a splash. Yeah, I'm a little... uh frustrated you're always gonna be a little bit of frustrated you're always gonna be a little frustrated when winning streaks and but when you feel like yeah you came back from all the adversity they had in that game can including the weather and you can't hammer it down and then it bounces off of somebody's head and somebody's head is tim anderson who just came back from you know i don't know getting knocked the fuck out it just was kind of just such a deflating feeling to lose that game in chicago over it now um, I don't know. What do you think about all of it? No, you're right. You visit three cities on the road trip and, uh, the three cities being Kansas city, Houston, and Chicago. And it's hard to believe your only two losses were in Kansas city one and Chicago one. So yeah, great road trip, exciting, uh, times for the manners. Yeah. That last 
game of the road trip was a little frustrating. I mean, they didn't execute as well and certainly didn't down the stretch of the game. But, uh, you know, for them to show the fight and still come back and give themselves a chance to win after being down late, uh, the bats weren't cooking. But to come uh, uh, through in those later innings with some clutch hits, a nice bunt for a base hit, um, you got to love that about this team. They still fight. And then to get the lead and then get, give it right back was tough, but that's the way it goes. But eight and two overall, you'll take that. Yeah, I'll take the eight and two. The leaving 14 men on base uh, seemed a little bit like first half Mariners uh, a bit. I mean, you, you had this starter, you know, on the rocks cr quite a bit in game three um, and just couldn't really get it done. They do get it done there late. You could see though, the effort was there every inning. I mean, even with Caballero coming on, stealing a couple of bases, you have Rojas dropping down the single RBI bunt, um, you know, after the day after he hits a big two run Jack, you know, picks up three hits in this game. A Eugenio coming through in the clutch. I know that there's no victories and losses, but there are silver linings. And the silver lining is that is that the, um, you know, hurry up offense, the two minute drill, if this was football on offense, seems like that's looking pretty good right now, late in games. Yeah, they never stay dying. I mean, you're right. Uh, as far as effort, you can never question that with this team. They're always giving the effort. Uh, they never say die, and they're always trying to claw back into that game, even though it looked for most of it that it was unattainable. But, yeah, um, beginning Kopech, like you mentioned, uh, he really couldn't find the strike zone. You know, sometimes pitchers are a little bit effectively wild, and that that happens if they're not in the zone and stuff. But, anyway, other than that, I mean, it was – it was getaway day. It was hot, like you mentioned earlier, and uh, tough one to lose to break the winning streak, but it happens, and uh, they'll start another one here soon, I believe. Yeah, it was, and don't get me wrong, very deflating the way the way it happened, especially when you have somebody dead to rights right there. Uh, you know, Scott Service said, hey, that's good base running. That's where, right, that's where, you know, uh, you want to have your head as a runner, but also it just seemed like JP kind of rushed that one and uh, left his feet, right? Like kind of like you were mentioning, we were mentioning before, kind of like a double play throw versus a uh, pickoff. I mean, a pickle throw. Yeah, that's really odd that Service mentioned that it was great base running, but he knows more than me, that's for sure. But um, yeah, he uh, JP played it correctly you know he came to the ball got himself on the inside of the baseline and you know like i mentioned to you earlier was yeah he got rid of the ball quickly like turn a double play he might have had an extra second but um looks like he just kind of dropped his elbow a little bit and the ball tailed on him right into his head uh instead of being able to make a nice strong throw on the inside of the bag to eugenio but unfortunately i mean that's if you don't execute that's what happens and unfortunately it was in a crucial situation at game time yeah, I'm. I'm almost positive Scott Service did say that about the his head being in the right place, but he also was like, "Yeah, that throws, you know, where where the glove was at. That's where you want to have your have your head, and uh, you know, maybe where you Henny are you Henny where maybe where Eugenio's glove was, you know, getting back over to the bag just wasn't 
in the right spot. I think going into that, they were playing bunt for whoever was at, at the plate. So I think that was a surprise to me that they actually made the pickoff move. I mean, they, I was like really shocked and very giddy to, Oh my God, you know, but it wasn't that play. I mean, you already start off with somebody on second base. You make a pickoff move to second base. That's a high risk move right there. Um, it's high risk to be off the bag and it's high risk to throw to the bag at that spot in the game, especially for the, uh, especially when you're the road road team, but you know, the inning before right there, you'd think with Munoz coming in there in the ninth after what we just did to them and deflated them and pretty much took all the air out of, uh, whoever was left in whatever they call, uh, um, Comiskey park now. Um, but they also left the bags loaded. There was, you know, a chance to put more runs in there in the, in that ninth inning and they didn't do it. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but let's focus on the positives, I guess. The eight and two, not I guess. I mean, eight and two again. I'm fine with the eight and two. I'm more than fine. I'm elated with the eight and two. It was just a bummer the way that game three ended there. Yeah, sure. I mean, watching the way that the White Sox played the previous two games uh, looked disinterested. Uh, they fired their GM and their president. They play like they don't care. Um, and you know, I mean, you get, you claw back, you get the, you get the lead, uh, like you mentioned Munoz, um, he just didn't have a slider that day he threw a couple, he just threw three to three different guys that were right down the pipe. One of them actually struck out on one, the other two, uh, hit a double and the next, and the guy after the strikeout hit him in and it happens. And then the, like you mentioned, the execution of that play at the end, it's tough. Um, it's hard to sweep teams and it's hard to keep that streak going. It's frustrating, but you know, uh, it happens. And all the teams that you're fighting with are lost that day, which helped. And then on the off day as well, they all lost as well. So you didn't lose any ground. Yeah. If there was a day to lose, that was it. If, if you want to look at yeah. it that way and then all the teams lose again on your off day. So there's really, you're in the same position. There's, a game and a half left less there's a game and a half less in the season. So that's, I guess we'll see if that's a good thing or if that's, that's a bad thing here. Um, you know, in the game before just really quickly, that was a great game. Mariners playing add on. You had another game where uh, we saw the emergence of Rojas big two home run two a big two run home run blast in that game. Um, but this was a game where they just kept playing that add on they were getting the walks. They definitely got into the bullpen. And the Mariners, you know, had a strong start from Wu, but they knew he was going short. Only pitched three innings. Big bullpen day. Uh, you had Taylor Sacedo. You had Trent Thornton, Isaiah Campbell, Justin Topa, Spire. You know, went in there in the ninth. Couldn't really get it done. Was getting himself in a little bit of trouble. They had to bring in Andre Munoz to clean it up. And then, you know, you go into the next day. It's 100-plus degrees out there. And you got to bring Munoz in, and uh, it was really tough in that game. You know, he had a lot of O2 or at least two strikes on guys and just couldn't put a couple of the guys away, and, you know, that that's where it leads us to. Yeah, the only thing I'll add about that game, which was nice to see, the Mariners had low strikeouts in that game with only six, and four yeah. of them came from Marlowe, which uh, you can't say a bad thing about him, the way he's came up uh, just – seamlessly put himself in or in, insert himself in the lineup played 
really good defense and have hit well for you. So that's just a blip on the radar. But it is impressive to see the Mariners only struck out six times that game. I was also going to say on this road trip, we've seen a lot of, you know, new names emerging and having big moments for the Mariners you know, that we're maybe not accustomed to. We had a, we had a pitcher, uh, Weaver, who pitched here in this last game, struck out five of six. Where do we know him from, Hanno? Um, he's the player that was um, playing for the Kansas City Royals last year. Uh, during the 4th of July weekend, I believe, that did that um, national anthem standoff with Robbie Ray. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember the game. Then we went and blew a big lead. Anyways, uh, guy looks looked pretty impressive. Yeah, sure did. Uh, I believe he got signed by the Mariners early on in the year, uh, then released, uh, pitched in uh, Cincinnati and then was released, and the Mariners called him up, and uh, yeah, first impressions are all good from this from Luke Weaver. Yeah, and this is a guy who's traditionally was a starter or was a starter, if if I'm if I'm correct, and so this is a guy that maybe can be one of those gap options or bridge options. Uh, we'll have to see him go more than just two innings, you know, but you know, so if you're going off of this, this is another guy that you're like, all right, with us probably going with the five man rotation. Nice to see that there's somebody in there that can, you know, go a few innings. Yeah. It's a weapon that you really didn't have in my opinion with the bullpen, the guys that can go two or three innings. Um, so yeah, if they're going to manipulate the, uh, starters with a six man and slaughter into that or uh have Wu go less innings or skip him a start or even with miller or let's say you have a clunker you got a guy now that can go in and give you a few innings other than one guy after another every single inning so yeah it's another weapon for the mariners and uh his arsenal sure looked good against the white Sox in his first appearance yeah and they're speaking of shuffling there's just been a lot of shuffling Obviously, with the bullpen, they they get used a lot. They've we've talked about this. Everybody knows about this. They've been run run ragged throughout this surge by the Mariners, and you, you know, it, it comes up again. Paul the Paul Seawald trade right now, you know, earlier in this week and and you know throughout last week, but especially this week when you had Canzone and you had. Rojas really emerging and then you have Paul Seawald taking care of business against teams that we needed <laughs> need to not do well uh things are feeling really good but as much as the offense and this identity of the offense is changing and trending up there is a little bit of concern I think about how the Mariners are closing out games I just want to know is it something that I should be concerned about, or is this just something where they're kind of reshuffling everybody and kind of figuring it out? Are we missing still that high leverage guy that we've talked about, or do you think things are just going to fall in place? There's enough talent out there. It's just, it'll all just kind of smooth out. Cause lately it has felt a little erratic to me, even though there's been games that we've come back. I'm talking specifically like the ninth inning yeah it's been a tough go here lately but i mean with these winning streaks uh 
you know, the games that you've lost in between them, it's probably magnified because it has been the bullpen at the end. But sure. Um, I'm a Mariners fan. Everything concerns me. You know, I've watched them for a long time. If they start struggling again on hitting like they did in the beginning of the year, yeah, that'll concern me. The bullpen, yeah, that'll concern me. But in, in all reality, um, there it's to me, it seems like they're just going to shuffle guys into spots, which, quoting like Scott Service said, which pockets fit them the best and what their pregame plan is for. So, yeah, do I have a favorite going into this? Close a role. I mean, I guess you could go with either. Either. I mean, there's plus and minuses to all of them. I mean, Andres Munoz doesn't look like he recovers as well after pitching back to back days. Matt Brash is one of the league leaders, if not the league leader in appearances. That's why you didn't see him much this uh, Chicago series after a, a tough road trip to start off between Kansas City and Houston. Um, sometimes he's erratic, but sometimes he's lights out. Uh, you had you have Topa, a guy that really hasn't gotten the shot in the closer role, but it's been really solid for you in the role that he's been put in. Um, you saw Spire that's done really well. Um, and some people have been craving for sauce, too. So there's a lot of options. I, to me, it seems like they would continue to throw out Brash and Munoz with maybe a little sprinkling of Topa if things go a little bit more sideways. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to see brash in in that spot you mentioned he's he's pitched a lot and he didn't pitch in this last series a lot of questions were like well how come we didn't see brash go into the game when he didn't pitch for a couple of days seems like according to jerry depoto he he was a bit sore and a bit tired tired and run down after the houston series totally understand that like you said he's pitched more than anybody um interesting to see if he you know starts getting the ball maybe late in the game. I mean, especially when you got uh, these games coming up with Oakland and Kansas city, um, the Mets, not that there's experimental time. There is every game is huge. We're in the playoffs, so to speak, but I wouldn't mind seeing that, you know, Andres Munoz, when he came back from his injury, we were sitting here crowning him. Like he should be on the all-star team. If this is a month later, you know, and lately it, he hasn't been that ferocious and scary. Um, he's been effective uh, at times, but it it does seem like maybe he has a tough time recovering uh, more. So when he goes back to back, I know that there was times that he pitched multiple games here in this last month and, and did fine, but this is something like Paul Seawald. And we mentioned this before did a lot. You know, and I, even leading up to when we were trading him, especially because he didn't want to get traded. Yeah, he was an animal for sure for us. And yeah, in past years, they kind of rotated those three in different positions, depending on the order. And this year kind of solidified up more of Brash seven, Munoz eight and Seawald nine. And like you mentioned, uh, he um, was lights out for us, pitched a lot, and they moved on from him. Um, Munoz, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, to me, um, at times it looked like lately he was really going after guys with his fastball. His uh, slider has looked not as sharp. You mentioned that in the beginning of the season he looks he looked light out, lights out, and like an all star. No doubt, he he was so unhittable. And after he came back from that injury, it was like, you know, we're having a tough season. We're just kind of 
throwing around who could be a possible all-star, who's the best player so far. And by God, he sure was uh, just unhittable. Uh, you mentioned Brash. He's gotten a little chance in early on, you know, after this trade to uh, pitch a little bit in the ninth, but you mentioned the teams were playing. Yeah, maybe it's a chance to uh, give him another soft landing again and put him in that spot and try to get him some confidence. So, yeah, we could see that as well, him rotating into the ninth inning position. Yeah, I would just be interested to see what he looks like that on a more regular basis than when we were trying to do that at the beginning of the year when Seawald was out and Munoz was out. And it, it wasn't very – it didn't go very well for him, but he's – totally to me a totally different pitcher right now yeah i mean with with the ninth inning guy i mean i've bill kruger says this all the time the ninth inning's different and guys aren't swinging as freely in the ninth inning they're more patient and they're making you throw a, throw them a strike and matt brash's problem is if he doesn't throw a strike and he gets behind he gets in trouble or if he's wild so it's a different thing for him so uh You've, you've noticed lately also with Brash, even in his start uh, bullpens in the seventh and eighth, he's been tacking more with his fastball, which has been good, and he's getting ahead. So that's the key to any relief pitcher. Get ahead, get them, you know, get the count in your favor, and then throw them something that they can't hit or off the plate to uh, get them fishing. But, um, yeah, he's he's definitely capable of it. It's For him, it's all about locating – like any pitcher, to be honest with you, you know. Years ago, the Mariners played in the old Kingdom. Oh, back in the 1990s. <laughs> this was uh, in uh, the Pinella years. We loved that ballpark when we were kids. They used to play a song during the seventh inning stretch called Louie Louie. Now that was music. The 1993 Mariners, when it all began, call for tickets. I mentioned a little bit earlier, like we're starting to feel really good about this trade um, and it can work out for both teams and that's fine. Uh, we've seen Ro what Rojas has brought. We've seen what Canzone's done and we kind of were talking, we were kind of talking uh, on the phone and just kind of thinking off the top of our heads. Do you think Rojas and Canzone, even though they weren't traded for these guys, they're definitely the replacements of AJ Pollock and Colton Wong. Do they already have more hits and home runs and RBIs and all those major contributions already, you know, in the few weeks that they've been here than Pollock and Wong did all season? Cause it kind of feels like that. Oh, it sure does. I mean, I bet you there is some stats, uh, home runs, possibly they might be tied. Um, but uh, as far as a small sample size, what these guys have had and any small sample size of what Wong and Pollock have had, they've totally blew them out. But th those two also have gotten, especially Wong, way more opportunities and plate appearances. So maybe the law of averages have uh, favored them. Well, I can tell you this right now. Between Pollock and Wong, they had seven home runs. Uh, so they're together. three behind? Yes. So these two together are three behind in like the, I, three, two or three weeks of playing yeah. for the Mariners. So I would assume they're going to eclipse them. And that was the thing. Are they going to eclipse that? That was the other part of the question. Are they going to, I should add that on. They, are they going to eclipse them this season in a, a month and a half that these guys 
had up until when they were traded or DFA'd. Home runs, definitely. Um, when you go to RBIs, uh, Wong had 19 for the Mariners, and uh, Pollock had 15. That's actually kind of a stat that kind of surprises me. Um, but so really? right there, you, he, I, I thought maybe... I'm actually surprised Wong had that many. <laughs> and then I was, me, and, then, and, then, and then I was to, like, Pollock, that felt about right at 15, but, well, but they have, they have, they have uh 34 RBIs together. There was times where I forgot Pollock was on the, was even on the team. I mean, there was flat <laughs> out long periods of time where they just didn't play him. So right. I see why that was, is the case. Uh, as far as Canzone and Rojas on the RBIs, they're at a they're at eleven, so they've already gotten a third of the RBI total that those two did. I'm not even going to go to the averages. Um, I just feel like home runs and RBIs and then hits, just hits. You had uh, right now Rojas and Dominic Canzone uh, combined. So they got 27 hits between the two of them. Kenzone and Josh Rojas have 27 hits between the two of them. And Colton Wong brought in 32 hits. I'm sorry, 32 hits. And AJ Pollock brought in 22. So we're talking, these guys got 54 hits. And those guys were on the team for about 90 games. The, <laughs> yeah. You know, Pollock... And try Wong. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you were getting nothing from them. Pollock, you rarely played, and Wong, when you threw out there, you weren't getting much from them. And the, I mean, right there, right, kind of shows you why they struggled and why this team has kind of taken off and started to win. Uh, they've get they're getting contact from guys. They're putting or these guys are getting con hitting with contact, putting balls in play, getting hits, hitting for uh, hitting some big home runs and clutch situations. I mean, it's night and day difference. So, yes, they will eclipse this, obviously, this year. Uh, just was just a thing that we were we were kind of talking about and going, I wonder if they were. I wonder if they've already outplayed them because it feels like they've already made more moments. I know Pollock had, a, had a, like a good series against the A's, but I feel like I'd have a good series against the A's um, way back when. At the, <laughs> I mean, way at the start of the season. But, yeah, uh, we'll – We'll make sure that we keep our eye on that here on the podcast and we'll have some sort of little champagne split uh, salute to the guys when they pass them. I'm thinking they're going to pass them in the next three weeks. I think it's going to be mid-September and they're going to pass them on uh, the game or the runs, the home, the runs, the RBIs, the hits and the home runs. Yeah. People don't realize the Mariners weren't always a winning ball club. Things started to change back in the 1990s. They hired a manager named Lou Pinella. Fiery guy, Lou. Hated to lose. As a player, he once threw his glove at the San Diego Chicken. The two eight-game winning streaks in the same month, we're talking the 2001 Mariners. We're talking the 2006 Minnesota Twins and the 2017 Dodgers are the only teams this century that have done that. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, and 
here's a question. Here's just something to think about. What's more impressive, and I know it's easier to say in the now, was the 14-game winning streak more impressive last year considering we lost a lot of guys to the to the brawl? But Or do you feel like the two eight-gamers in one month is more impressive to you? You know, uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, – I got a couple answers. To me, the 14-game winning streak is more impressive uh, for this reason. Um, you're almost going three times through your rotation. Um, 14 games in a row in the big leagues is pretty incredible. And then on the other side, if we're, we're talking about difference between the two years, um, the way it worked out uh, during that 14-game winning streak, uh, you didn't really pick up any games on – the teams you were chasing in Houston, um, they played really well at the same time. And then this year, you like you mentioned, two eight-game winning streaks uh, in the same month. But at the same time, the first-place team has lost seven in a row at the same time. And that's what has propelled you back into this race for the American League West. So differences in years. But for me, four, I mean, they're both very impressive. But to go 14 straight in a row, that's hard to do. That is hard to do, and I have to agree with you. That's two weeks, more than two weeks, because you're not always playing seven games a week. But let's just say, you know, two-plus weeks of not losing a game, also considering that they had players missing from, from the brawl. And I don't feel like, as as a talented team, they, they did that with it. The downside of that is, yeah, you didn't really gain – much ground on the Rangers in the division, but you did gain some ground in the wild card during that time. But this month, the Mariners have made huge gains, all kinds of gains. And why I want to say maybe the eight game, the double eight games here might be as as impressive or maybe more to me, it's to put up the eight games. You know, it, it sucks when a winning streak ends and then be able so quickly to go right back out there and match it again in a month is pretty impressive to me. Um, maybe, maybe it was a good thing that they lost this game. Now they got to match another eight games. You know, that would be, that would be the ultimate. Yeah. But I mean, we can get really wild. It could be up to about 20 games. I mean, you lost two and extras to Baltimore. You, you lose an extras to lose three in a row against Kansas city. And then you lose an extras in this last yeah, game to Chicago. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's how crazy you can look at it both ways. How amazing maybe, that that 14 game winning streak and how close you were to maybe getting a 20 game winning streak. And that's how close and baseball's, you know, as they say, uh, plays can happen within inches and, you know, that's the way it happened in the baseball gods or they didn't execute, just didn't work they're, out for them in those days. They are fickle. They're very fickle, my friend. And that's what makes it so frustrating about that last loss. If you just put it in the vacuum of the of the winning streak, that's where it really kills you. They just went out there and, you know, just nothing happened. And they laid an egg. I get it. It was, you know, how it happened. Now, you're right. We could be looking at a 20 game uh, you know, Moneyball movie style, you, you know, winning streak here. Also, if you go back to last year, since you wanted to get wild, 
remember the Mariners had a nice little streak going on there. They get in a fight. They lose that game because they lose the heart of their roster. I was there sitting there baking in the sun behind the dugout watching that reliever from Anaheim throw the bubble gum across the field. And then the Mariners come home, they get their suspensions sent to them. They have this emotional drain out from the day before lose that game. Then they go on this 14 game winning streak. So even last year you could have had back to back seasons with 20 game winning streaks had not a couple of these weird little circumstances happened. But again, that's baseball. Yeah, and it's also frustrating as a Mariner fan, you know, when they start the season like they did and you're thinking they can't do this again. Yeah, I mean, it's just no possible way. They didn't do it again, but they've coupled half those games in a row with a loss in between to two eight-game winning streets, which has got them back in this race. A great month of August, a great month of July, or August isn't over, but a great month of July and on the way to a better month in August. So it's it's been the tale of two seasons, no doubt. A lot of season to go. A there lot. Could be a, a lot. There could be, a, there could be a, another eight or niner. I mean, I, I'm just saying, you have Kansas City. They have given you problems. Uh, but you have the A's right after that, and then you play the Mets. So there is nine winnable games in front of you. So there is a possibility they could do that. Not putting that kind of pressure on them. I'd like a nice seven and two or six and three, but I'm just saying. No, it would be incredible. Since we're getting wild. Yes. It'd be incredible to get that cushion. Maybe Uh, the schedule is going to flip in September where you're playing better teams, including the ones that are tied with you and in front of you right now, that'll probably determine of where you're going to end up in the playoffs hopefully so yeah let's bank a few i'm with you now here's lenny randall when the mariners beat the red Sox, hitting baseballs out of sight every kid who's 14 and under we want to come come to jack and just a couple of quick notes before we get out of here and we will get to the the big elephant in the room the pink elephant in the room here uh just really quickly depoto show we talked a lot about what depoto kind of already insinuated on a show said they're probably going to go with this five-man rotation and if you look at the schedule it backs up what he's saying there are particular days off that make the five-man rotation not so daunting going down the end maybe you know do a skip start that would i guess probably pertain to woo and maybe miller but um you know this is maybe where you get to see a thornton or weaver piggyback on on woo as well so if we could see weaver some more you know Look how he looked like we just talked about that. That'll be pretty, uh, pretty helpful. Um, he also talked about uh, Rojas, of course. Why wouldn't you? He's got to feel really good about that trade. And I guess this is a guy that he's wanted to get for a while. He's here. I thought I was hearing crazy talks or you were microdosing mushrooms and super happy. You actually said to me, uh, you really liked Rojas's interview on Brock and Salk. Yeah, um, they asked some good questions, but more importantly, uh, Rojas was just really candid and talked about 
I mean, I like the behind the scenes things, him talking about what he, what Kim and his former teammates, when they play the Mariners, uh, thought about the Mariners and their pitching staff. They were wowed by them, uh, totally impressed by the starting staff. There was never a bad off, no matter what guy they brought in, whether it was a starter or bullpen guy after bullpen guy. Um, he talked about some of his um, uh, adjustments he was making before he got to the Mariners and then working with the Mariners and talking to them about things that he wanted to uh, continue to work on, but also was coachable to um, the Mariners coaching staff if they saw anything. I mean, it was just he was really honest and gave some different answers that I really haven't heard. And um, I, I loved it. I, I, Rojas made the interview, but they asked some good questions. I'll give him that. Credit. Yeah. I haven't listened to that. I'm going to go listen to it. I have heard him in the post game. Seems very happy to be here. This is definitely a case of one of those resurrection gambles that went right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you got it. You got it wrong on the other two or three or four, that handful of them you tried to bring in here. Uh, this is the first one that's really popped back for, and I would say since Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana wasn't having a great year last year. He came here and, you know, was just a whole nother person. And we're, we're getting that version that we've kind of asked for that, of some kind of veteran to come in here and, and put it back together. And we're right now we're getting that from Josh Rojas. Yeah, and I won't spoil it for you, but he talked about what it was like to get traded. Um, he told the story of how it went down for him and and Canzone. It's it's cool. You guys, if you haven't heard, go to Seven Ten and uh, go to their podcast page and check it out. It's it's uh, it was very insightful. Now I've heard everything, and yeah, quit listening to this shit. Head on over to Seven Ten. Well, yeah, they're the pros. Give him Give Brock and Sock. How much did they pay you, Hannah? How much did they pay you? Uh, the same thing you pay me. <laughs> Damn, man. I didn't know they had money like that. Um uh another quick <laughs> another quick one. We already talked about it. Hancock shut down. Another piece of injury news that uh unless you're going digging for it and Googling it, uh Jared Kelnick. He's been out of the boot. Same answer from Jerry. Uh, foot still not healed. He made that uh, crystal clear. And there is no timeline. But he did say him and Scott were talking about whatever timeline. Uh, when Whenever they put out this timeline, he's going to probably beat it back. So we're probably, I'm guessing, another four weeks, probably till you see Jerry Kelnick. I'm thinking you'll see him with about 10, maybe 12 games left in the season. Yeah, concern the I have, the only concern I have is they say that the foot's not healed. That doesn't sound good. No, and that even makes you know getting somebody like Canzone. Let's just you know knock on wood, he can keep it up. Uh, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of uh, uh, Cade Marlowe running into a little bit of wall, and now let's this will be very interesting to see how Canzone goes because. Uh, Marlo might have had just about as many games. They have about just as many games in the same area of games under their belts as pros. So where with Rojas kind of picking it back up, he's been a 245 hitter or something his entire career. And he's had some good seasons. He's 
resurrected what he was doing, but he's only 29 as well. Yeah. You know, like you said, with Canzone and Marlowe, you, they, what they've shown you good approach, good bat to ball skills, make a lot of contact, um, have some, have some power. Um, so that's really exciting. If they do have a little bit of a wall, they might hit, it doesn't worry you as much. Hopefully um, that's not the case, but yeah. Um, hopefully that if, if they do struggle a little, other guys will be able to pick them up. Fortunately for the Mariners during this streak, everybody's been going good. You expect that to tail off a little bit. Hopefully it's not everybody all at one time and there'll be other guys to uh, be able to pick guys like that up. Yeah. But I, I'm very much so anticipating his return. Um, you know, he was carrying the team through a dark patch there uh, offensively was the spark plug, but also now there's a bit of competition to get in there and play, which is always good and which is always healthy. It's worked for Pete Carroll Seahawk teams. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the Mariners having some depth by God, you know, nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, I, the Mariners need Jared Kelnick, in my opinion, um, to be back and healthy. Uh, he is a, a good defender, good base runner. Um, maybe he's been able to watch these guys that have come up and be, been acquired and see how their approaches have been. Uh, yeah, Jared has carried this team uh, at times in the beginning of the year. He was absolutely the only one doing something for a while there. And, uh, you know, if I'm just hoping he's healthy, uh, obviously they wouldn't put him out there if he's not healthy. It's just weird to me that they say uh, he's out of the boot, but is he's not healed yet. So, but maybe this time you said for him to get out of the boot and rehabbing is the, re and that's what needs to get him healthy. I don't know, but uh, so well, interesting I'll way of this. putting it. I'll tell you this. I want him to get healthy, but, Listen, when he comes back, he's coming back to a different offense with a different mentality right now where he's not going to have to carry stuff. So just if he can just do what he does, plays good defense, hustle, runs hard, uh, gets that big hit every fourth or fifth at bat. Um, we've, we talk about depth. Some days some guys are just going to have it, and some days some guys aren't. So being able to go to your bench and bring somebody in, see if they can get it going instead of going like, Oh crap, who are we going to put in now? It's uh, you're sitting there anticipating what moves they're going to make next. And yeah, that's exciting. Just, yeah. It's just another piece on the chain. And uh, you just want Jared to just slip in there and be Jared from September last year, just fit in, mm -hmm. help out and just uh, be a guy that can contribute. He doesn't have to be the guy, like you said, all right, before we uh, get on out of here, we keep on saying that, but there's just been a lot of good, fun stuff to talk about. Uh, just so you know, if you're scoreboard watching this weekend and you got somebody that doesn't know shit that comes up to you and say, well, who's, who do, who do I want to win? Or you got somebody that's just a casual fan. Well, just educate them. This weekend, you want the Detroit Tigers. Why do you want the Detroit Tigers? They're playing the Houston Astros. Uh, you want the Yankees against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are holding down that number one wild card. If, hey, if you get the wild card, might as well get the number one. You get the home games. Uh, you also want the Colorado Rockies. They're taking on the Orioles. Just They're just a team ahead of you. 
Uh, you want the Cleveland Guardians? They are taking on the Toronto Blue Jays, so that is a big game of interest. You definitely want the Cleveland Guardians. You want the Los Angeles Dodgers? They're playing in Fenway uh, this weekend. Uh, you, you know, Boston's right behind you, but just a, what two and a half, three games behind you. Uh, things can uh, change really quick. And you want the Minnesota Twins, who are hosting the Texas Rangers in Minnesota. I think you got it covered. And, of course, you want the Seattle Mariners to take care of business against a tough Kansas City team that we saw hit the ball, hit even balls that were not in the strike zone, that were great pitches out of the park. They're always tough. They got Bobby Witt Jr., somebody that's just about on Julio's level, if not on the same level. These is one of the guys that's probably going to be the faces of the game with Julio. You always have Salvador Perez on the team, who's a Mariner killer. You go per capita, how many games he's played. You know, he's 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 trended in that area of the the Trouts, the Napoli's, the Palmeros. The Altuve's he's a he's a he's a Mariner he's a Mariner killer just doesn't have as many games against the Mariners but every time we see him he's scary as fuck um but the Mariners should take care of business this weekend hopefully at least getting two out of three and the last thing that we'll talk about we made we saved it for last didn't want to kick off with it but like I said the elephant in the room uh why don't you let him know what's going on with uh our new Mariner for 2024, Shohei Otani. Yeah, you could look at it a couple different ways. He tore his UCL. Um, he's done that before in 2018, which is his tendon in his elbow. Uh, looks like he's not going to be having surgery at this time and he's going to play through it, but not pitch and just hit. So it's definitely going to shake up the free agent market as far as maybe which teams might be more in on him for price and uh, all things like that. Uh, it's, it's quite shocking that it happened at this point and it's too bad for him as a person for the angels. I could give a shit, but for him um, I'm, I'm saddened that he's uh, hurt himself and his pitching will be done for the year. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot in the off season at nauseum of what it's going to cost now. Maybe it's a contract that's two-sided that has incentives for pitching if pitching happens and something for hitting. We're, we're going to see that's going to be the big talk. We'll have endless amounts of information on all that bullshit. But the thing is, as of right now, he's still hitting, which means when they do come here next month, get down there and let's get that chant going again that come to Seattle. I know we shouldn't be looking at 2024 right now, but that'll just make for a good time. I think I'm sure it's going to happen. I've seen the shirts. I saw simply Seattle had some, had some, uh, come to Seattle number 17 <laughs> shirts. Uh, but yeah, it's, this makes things interesting. And also the only thing I'm going to say, and we'll talk about this a lot in the off season is now, if he's just going to be a hitter next year, makes a lot of sense, more sense maybe for the Mariners. He doesn't have to go out there and pitch. Look at our pitching staff. Could make it more of an attractive place. Yeah, I, I really got a lot to say on this, and I know you'd be pissed because you want to get this wrapped up, so I'll zip it. You'll zip, you'll zip it. We'll, we'll do a whole other episode on it. Don't worry, because you got a lot to say. 
It's going to be some opinions on it. It's going to be a that should be your spinoff. I got a lot to say. Episode one, Otani. Uh, no, uh, never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> what were you going to say? I can edit this out. It doesn't matter. Oh, it was uh, bad. It was. It was bad. No, it, it was real bad. It was bad. I will say. Bad. I I will say one thing though. We had we had some we jinxed. We mentioned it last what two episodes ago. You did the uh, honky tonk or the uh, tacos and tequila episode last time, and the the time before at the end we mentioned uh, good luck to the Northeast Little League. Well, we jinxed them. They just went after saying that they had they went two and out, two losses in a row, and they were done. So I'm you sure sorry it wasn't Northwest that. Little League. You sure it wasn't Northwest Little League? No, it was Northeast. Something you're very wow. used to. I know it's the difference. They were in Williamsport and you were in Woodenville. So yeah, that's a big difference there. <laughs> but uh, you're used to the two and out. So anyway, good season by them. They'll probably be at T-Mobile here in the next couple of weeks to be uh, commended and cheered on for. Great season, guys. Yes, great season. Anyways, that's our show for this weekend. Get down to there. Hey, hey, we'll be down at Tacos and Tequila on Sunday. Lots to see. It's just going to be an exciting weekend. Lots of scoreboard watching. We're in the best part of the baseball season right now. The playoffs are awesome, but this chase down the stretch is just so. I don't know if there's another sport that's like it down the stretch like this. For me, yeah, it's it's a great time of year. Um, playoff baseball is the best where every pitch, you're on the edge of your seat. Every pitch matters. Uh, for you, you know, you went 18 innings of it with no food and drink. Uh, so you know what it's all about, postseason baseball. I survived. I survived. <laughs> um, with that being said, Hanno, you know what time it is. Church. You got your fucking. Your, you did your improv space work with the trumpet. I like it. That's my D, uh, Sugar Diaz. <laughs>